Um, as we dive in today, uh, I'm going to have a conversation with you about what it means to become a fisher of men. And uh, we're going to go through the next several weeks as we start building towards Easter, uh, the conversation about the life of Jesus and things that Jesus did along the way towards the Easter moment. And we're going to talk today uh, out of Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can run ahead of me. We'll be there in a few moments. And so I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I'm also full in my heart, having spent a few days uh, in a place where I've seen the gospel moving in some incredible ways. We were in Costa Rica and some of the most impoverished areas that I've ever been in. We're actually in a place where uh, there's not even a city there. It's just the dump. And because of the dump, there's one road. And because of this one road, uh, there are a bunch of lean-tos. An entire community has just sprung up around this dump. And I watched people jump onto dump trucks to fight to have first access to garbage that it was about to be dumped where there was an army, a sea of people to just get access to that. And I, I watched some things that have captured my heart for places and areas where we can potentially help and serve and partner uh, where we're seeing the gospel move. And I'm excited about that. One of the stories that I wanted to share with you this week comes out of one of the places we visited, a place called Pavis. And I'm going to give you a, a video clip here. You're going to meet Jessica. She's actually one of the people who walked around with us. We got to hang with her. We're actually helping her build a home uh, in Costa Rica. She's a missionary there. She's from Kentucky, and uh, she's a great gal. So I'm going to let her share a little bit about the base, uh, one of the bases that we we're at, and then I will share with you a little bit beyond that. My name is Jessica Carter, I'm from Kentucky, and I'm the Global Teams Director for Christ for the City International in Costa Rica. So here in Favis, there's a lot of needs as it's a community that's overrun by drugs, dysfunctional families that have been broken, that have been torn apart by drugs, abuse, um, violence. It's a constant thing going on and there's lots of poverty. Christ for the City International is being a light to this community as our motto is transforming cities by transforming people. And so we take an individual basis through relationships and building into the community. And through that, seeing lives being transformed, seeing a gang member give his life to Christ is watching his entire family give his life to Christ or his entire gang. And so as we've watched kids, have they chosen Christ, they've been killed. But through that, God is bringing life. So through death, we're seeing life. And I had a guy tell me the other day that he'd spent 22 years and he hadn't lived, but the last 22 days, he's finally realized what true life is, that there really is life, and he's finding that life in Christ. As a ministry here, we're meeting those needs of the homeless population, taking food to the streets. We've created a refuge. Um, as well, we have a feeding program for the children because there's many children that um, their families are caught up into drugs and alcohol, and really their parents want something better for them. We have an awesome missionary who has a passion and it's called the Art House. And so she's located in all of our different ministries, but here in Pavis she has sewing classes. She teaches them how to quilt, how to make different things. They're able to sew pants and they're able to go home and take the skill that they've learned and make money for their family to support their families, which is awesome. Christ for the City has partnered with a church called Leon de Juda and we have a pastor, Christian, who grew up in this life. And so here we're meeting the needs that we see in this community. Everything we do here is impossible without the support of people like you and the states who are supporting our ministries, um, willing to pray. Prayer is essential to everything we're doing, to give financially um, the food, the, the water, the buildings, everything that we're doing here 
we need support financially. And third is to come or to go, to leave your house and come and support what we're doing here and be a part of transforming lives for Christ. Amen. So that is one of many of the bases that we visited. And I wanted to show you a picture of Pavas because I wanted to tell you a story from our time there. Um, you saw at one point uh, kind of on a dirt uh, uh, field with some chickens, some people kind of circled up and having a conversation. I, I was in an environment like that. And we got to meet some of the people who were at the refuge ministry, which is one of the ministries she pointed there. And what the refuge ministry does is it literally, it's run by Pastor Christian. And Pastor Christian used to be one of the primary gang leaders of that community. Gave his heart to Jesus and uh, his family got saved. Then his gang members started to get saved. And in this environment that's overrun with gang violence, Pastor Christian and his uh, co-ministers can walk from house to house and serve people and love on them. And they're pulling people out of gang life. And some of these folks are giving their hearts to Jesus and then being murdered because of it. Uh, and it's been a, a fascinating story. So I'm in this environment. We're sitting and there's about six or eight former gang members that are there and they're sharing their testimony and uh pastor christian has some like uh, ufc style equipment that he set up because you know they got, he's got these young men and he's just trying to give them some something to get their energy out on and uh so he got all these guys they've been working out and they start telling their story and they you know these buff gang member guys and and they're young men maybe you know some is probably 16 to 22 range somewhere in there and they start sharing their testimony and i'm hearing story after story from these young men about coming out of gang violence um you know uh un, of course unwed pregnancies that are uh, that they're trying to figure out how to be a dad and they're trying to learn how to how to live differently and they and they're telling all these stories about practical pragmatic needs that are being met in their life as they come out of this environment and then they start talking about Jesus and they break they break because hope has become a thing that they had never imagined they could have and I'm listening and, and this one young man says you know I've, I've been clean for 22 days and I'm thinking you're dangerous <laughs> but and he breaks and he talks about having no hope for his life before he met Jesus and then the next young man shares and he says I, I, I just know there's something better for my life and I don't even know what it is and we recognize he he's just trying to get away and then someone in our in our missionary group just asked the question have you even had an opportunity to meet Jesus, and he starts weeping. And we pray for this young man who's in recovery, trying to get out of his gang environment, and he gives his heart to the Lord right there, and he takes a step. And this morning, what I want to talk about uh, is this incredible picture of what it looks like to take a step towards Jesus. And I was so moved in this environment watching these young men talking about some of the horrific things that they've come out of and, and, and kind of comparing that with some of the conversations. Uh, if, if I haven't had an opportunity to share with you before, I was a youth pastor for about 18 years and, uh, and I've, I've worked a lot with teenagers. We've been having an incredible run here. If you're visiting, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, what a great first day to come because we're going to talk about one of the most important uh, truths that we don't always reconcile in church world and it's this understanding standing that no matter where you are today, Jesus's invitation is to take a step towards him. And it can change and radically alter the course of your life and destiny. And I was shook because I watched these guys who were just very early on their journey with Jesus. 
and the baggage and the weight of their life was still there. Some uh, clearly still going through the process of getting off of drugs that have a a hook in their life at a level that you couldn't imagine. Uh, Some having come through incredible violence. Some understanding that the decision they're making right now to follow Jesus literally could cost them their lives. And you look at our lives and we go, man, but sometimes, Pastor Mike, I'm not sure that, I, that I'm a kind of person that could take a step towards Jesus. You don't know the baggage and what I've been through. You don't know what I've, where I'm coming from and what's been in my life so far. And I start thinking, you know what? All of us start somewhere. Every great thing you've done in your life, every good thing you've done in your life, it started somewhere. At some point, you took a step. At some point, you trusted God or you trusted yourself or you trusted that there would be some momentum. But at some point, you took a step and every one of us starts walking towards Jesus the same way. We start wherever we're at and we take a step. And so I'm challenged by this idea that every journey just needs to start somewhere. And our experience with Jesus is the same way. I actually saw a quote, and I I love this quote. It was a a pastor named Andy Stanley, and he said that being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. It's actually a prerequisite. You can't start following Jesus unless you're a mess. I'm just telling you, it's gonna be part of, the process. So over the next uh, several weeks as we move towards the Easter season and, uh, and, and what God's doing in Celebration Center 2.0 and, and all of the things that are happening with Discover Church, I, I want to just talk about the life of Jesus and the people who began to look more and more like Jesus and follow Jesus. And it's interesting, if you think about who was following Jesus, if you get into your Bible and you read the story, sometimes we have a picture that there's just kind of one kind of person that's following Jesus, but it's not true. There were lots of people that followed Jesus. There were IRS tax agents that followed Jesus. There were small business owners that followed Jesus. There were peasants that followed Jesus. There were affluent, well-educated people, scribes that followed Jesus, people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from all socioeconomic backgrounds, from all, uh, can we use the word sin? Can we, they, from all different kinds of sin backgrounds, following Jesus. The invitation to everyone was to take a step and move towards Jesus. There were various degrees of education in people who were following Jesus. There were various degrees of faith in people who were following Jesus. There were many people who were following Jesus, not even people of faith. They're just following and asking questions and listening and trying to get a free meal. Come on now. There were lots of people who were following Jesus, all walks of life, and Jesus's invitation was for all of them to come and to follow him. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to get in Luke chapter 5 in just a minute. Before that, I need to back up in Luke 4 and just tell you a little bit about what is going on. Jesus has launched his public ministry. He's been uh, water baptized by John, and he's on the scene now, and he's moving into Galilee. And if you have, you know, if you have your Bible open to Luke 5, you could jump back and follow me. But, uh, but essentially, he's returned to Galilee, and he starts teaching. And it says in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, that he is preaching in the power of the Spirit, and news about him is beginning to spread through the whole countryside. People are saying there's this new radical teacher who has shown up, and when he talks, he talks with authority. And miracles Miracles are starting to happen. And it says he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone was praising him. They're like, there's something about this guy that's different. 
that's powerful, that has authority. He's laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. He's claiming to have authority over sin. It's something different than we've seen in everyone else. As a matter of fact, in uh, verse 38, the first time Luke meets Peter uh, in chapter four, we see this interesting story. He leaves a synagogue and he goes home to the house of Simon and Simon's mother-in-law is suffering from a high fever. And so they said, Jesus, can you help her? And he goes to her and it says, he bent over her, he rebuked the fever and he left, it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. And then it says in verse 40 that at sunset, people brought all kinds of people to Jesus with sickness and they began, he began laying his hands on each one and he healed them. Now, this is a powerful conversation because we're talking about this invitation for everyone to come and follow Jesus. And one of the most marginalized things you could be in this culture is sick because they didn't want contamination to spread. And laying your hands on the sick was a very dangerous and kind of unclean idea. They actually had all kinds of interesting uh, laws and policies about touching the sick people and, and where they could be. And, and, uh, and the reality is the belief at this time was that probably if you were sick, there was sin in your life. It was just an outward expression of something else that was going on in your life. That was a common held belief at this point. So for Jesus to move to sick people, come on now, as a teacher and touch them, he was literally saying those people that you think have sin in their life, they have permission to be touched and in the presence of me as well. And I have authority over that thing that you think has control in their life. It's a powerful picture of the start and the opening of his ministry. And then we get to this next moment where he calls and gathers his first group of people together to go and begin to serve with him. And there's two versions of the story. Matthew tells a version of the story and Luke tells a version of the story. And both Matthew and Luke are telling the truth, but Luke gives us a little more details. And Matthew is written more to a Jewish audience uh, who would understand the authority of a rabbi. Um, And then Luke understands that we would have a hard time understanding this. And so let me give you the Matthew version really quickly, and then we'll walk into the Luke version. Matthew says that as Jesus was walking in Matthew chapter four, verse 18, uh, you could read this along on the screen and keep your finger in Luke five, because we'll be right there. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I don't know about you, but that sounds like one of the most irresponsible stories I've ever heard. (laughs) Jesus shows up, and he's like, oh, you're a small business owner feeding your family. Yeah, stop doing that. Let's go for a walk. How long are we going for a walk for, Jesus? Uh, always. We're just going to walk now. That's going to be the thing you do now. And they go. And then you meet the brothers, and you're like, okay, James and John, you're the sons of Zebedee. Daddy Zebedee is there. Apparently, the plan is that you're going to inherit the fishing business. Why don't you guys just come too? And it's like, sorry, pops. We're out. There goes your whole plan for how you're going to hand over the business because we are following Jesus. What's powerful and, and uh, amazing about this uh, version of the story is the immediacy with which people understood. 
that wherever Jesus was going was better and more fulfilling and more hopeful than what they were doing at that moment. But it is hard to swallow and it is difficult to process. Jesus, you would just call anyone to come follow you? Were you indiscriminately welcoming people from any picture and place to come and to follow you? And so I like the Matthew version, but I think Luke, who is a Gentile, who's not Jewish, who is a historian and wants data points to be clear for people who maybe think more, uh, less as a, as a Jew and more just uh, from an outside perspective looking in, he's like, people are going to have some questions about this story. So let's make sure we get a couple more of the details of what's going on for all of us to see. And um, I, I love this picture that he paints of how these guys meet Jesus and follow him. So if you have your Bibles, you should be at Luke 5, and let me read verse 1 for you, and he says this. He says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another way to say the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him, and they were listening to the word of God. I love this picture. I think sometimes the nuance of what's happening here can get lost on us. These folks were gathered around and they were listening. They weren't followers of Jesus yet. They were just listening. They were trying to get their questions answered. They were trying to hear what's this thing about? What's really going on here? They weren't faith-filled followers of Jesus. They, they were just assimilating the information. And here's what I'd love to tell you. If, if you're here and you have questions and this faith thing seems okay, but you're not sure what you really believe about stuff, it's okay to recognize this truth. Faith begins with information. It begins with information. Jesus welcomed people into the conversation about who he is and what he's doing, and he welcomes people into that conversation today. And it's okay to be at a place where you have questions. It's okay to be asking, I'm not sure what I think about that. Does it make sense? I'm reading this scripture. I can't believe anyone would leave their fishing business. This seems like an unbelievable story. Who wrote this anyway? When did it come together? When did it become the Bible? When was it a letter? What was the language that it was written in? Do I understand these words? These are reasonable questions that people can ask. It's not, the, the scripture's not afraid of that. Jesus is not afraid of people who have questions on their journey. His invitation is to explain to you who he is. He wants you to know his heart. He wants you to know his heart. People listened to Jesus before they even followed him, and then they followed him before they even had faith. That's crazy to think about. We think so often that it's like faith activates everything, and faith is critical. Faith is critical, but the invitation always preceded faith. I was thinking about when I first started coming to church, I was a young buck, eighth grade. There were good-looking girls there, and they had video games. That was my entire church experience. And we played basketball sometimes. That was it. I didn't have faith when I started following Jesus, when I started coming to church. I thought the stuff they did was corny. I didn't understand most of the words. And I wasn't dumb. I just didn't know what those words meant. What is exalt? What is happening with Hosanna? Why is the music so much worse in church than what I hear on the radio? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But there was decent looking girls there. Come on now. Just being real. I made a couple of friends. 
We played basketball from time to time. The guy who shared was goofy, but he was nice enough. And so I hung out for a while. And I heard things that sounded ridiculous at the time. A Jew? This whole thing was about a Jew? I wasn't a church kid. What do I care about a Jewish carpenter? How many thousand years ago? What's this story about that you're trying to tell me? So is he dead or is he not dead? I don't understand. Why do you take this book and treat it like it's supernatural? I don't get it. I have questions. Why am I reading the same story over and over again by different authors? No, like, what is this? Is it one book? Is it 66 books? I'm, I don't know. I have questions. And I'm just cruising along in the peanut gallery. Come on now, church. And I don't think it's very cool, but it's all right. People are starting to be kind of nice to me, and I'm starting to build a network of some friends. And I haven't struck out with all the girls yet, so there's still time. <laughs> Come on, church. We're being real here. Come on. And I was invited to follow and ask questions before I ever had faith, before I ever understood. Can I just, I'm going to, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to really break down some of the stuff I, I learned while I was in Costa Rica. But can I just share this little nugget with you guys? So my Spanish is garbage, okay? I haven't spoken Spanish like regularly since I was about eight years old. And, uh, and so I, my Spanish is like really bad, but on our trip, my Spanish was like amazing compared to most of our group. And so I found myself in regular moments where I had to kind of translate. And if, if you, uh, you know, hablame más despacio, if you speak to me a little bit slower and if you yell, and especially if you use profanity, I know what you're saying. And so, <laughs> and so I can hang, you know, at least a little bit. And so I found myself in several moments kind of translating for the group or at least trying to be a bridge with my broken vocabulary plus Google Translate. And, uh, and we're, we're getting through these conversations. And then we ended up over the weekend at a church service. And people kept saying, so, so what are they saying? What are they doing? And I'm like, I've never heard these words before. Because my eight-year-old Spanish didn't have Hosanna. Because no one in conversational English used those languages. And I realized something. Can we just be honest, church folks? We have a foreign language here sometimes. And if we're not careful, we don't recognize, because we all often speak the foreign language already, that, that, that for some, we still have questions. What do you mean when you say that? What do you expect from me when you say that? What does I surrender all mean in that context? What is it? And so Jesus is teaching on the side of the road and, and, and they're listening. He's by the lake of, of or the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, and he's teaching. And people are just getting their questions answered. They don't have faith in him yet. They don't know what they believe. And he's okay with it. He's happy to have them on the journey. Are we happy to be on the journey? Are we okay with Jesus that way? See, faith sometimes has to begin with information. Paul says it this way in Romans. He's like, listen, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they that call on the name of the one they have not believed in? He's like, how can you call on the name of someone if you've never believed in him? And how can you believe in someone who you haven't heard? And how can you hear without someone preaching or some versions will say explaining to them? He's like, listen, this is the process. People have questions. 
and they hear things. And some of the things of God are great, unfathomable mysteries, and some can be broken down, and some require some faith to get over the hump, and some just require, okay, I'm just going to hear the next thing and keep asking and figuring out my questions. Some of you are so frustrated right now with someone in your life because they have questions, and they're not just following Jesus, and you're like, why do you have questions? Instead of saying, you know what, that's incredible that you have questions, and maybe the place you are right now is assigned to them to be a living example of Jesus in front of them so they can see it on display and get their questions answered. Just saying. Maybe that's the thing. I'm not sure. I can tell you I was in church for a year listening to preaching that meant nothing to me. Nothing to me before I decided to take a step of faith. I was following. I was listening. I had a list of new questions. I remember the first time someone told me to open up my Bible to Hebrews. What? What? I just stared at my little children's Bible that I had brought. With the lamb on the front, embarrassing one for a teenager to have, right? Come on now. And I just looked at it mystified. What in the world do you mean open up my Bible to Hebrews? But again, following, trying to figure it out. So here's Jesus, and he's asking questions. We've got to move a little quicker than this. Um, verse 2, Luke chapter 5, he says, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Man. This is such a cool thing. If I have time, I'll break some of this down for you. But these fishermen are washing their nets. It's the morning time. Why are they washing their nets in the morning? Because they've been fishing all night long. In the Sea of Galilee, it's, a, um, it's like a very clear water. And they're net fishing. The way they fish, they throw these nets over and they either drag with a partner or they just pull up their nets. And so their plan, their strategy, the best method of fishing for them was to fish at night when the nets were a little more invisible to the fish. And so they could, uh, you know, they would fish all night long. And then in the morning, they would sell the catch and they'd go to the fish markets. And then, uh, but when they came in from fishing all night long, it was very important for them to wash, or some versions will say mend their nets. Now, this is a critical thing. Why did they have to mend and take care of their nets? Why are they doing this process? Well, there's an, an important couple of factors here. If you are a fisherman, you might know more about this than me. I grew up in the city, but, uh, but apparently... You actually have to take care of your equipment if you want it to last a long time, right? Apparently, that's a thing. And one of the things they would do, because they would throw their nets over, they would catch, you know, whatever stuff they would catch. They'd catch sediment or whatever gross things, and, and the nets would start to smell, and uh, they'd have all kinds of little trashy pieces of little things that they didn't want in there. And one of the dangers would be if they didn't wash and mend and clean their nets, rats would come and try to pick clean the food that's on the nets, and they would chew up and destroy and damage their nets. That was a very important thing. They had to wash and clean and mend that. The other thing they had to do is just check for any weaknesses in the nets. If your entire livelihood, your entire livelihood is fishing, then if your nets aren't in good repair and they break, come on now, you can't, you can't do anything. So it's just as important as catching fish was it that every day they prepped and mended their nets before the next day. Now imagine you've been fishing all night long, you're now in the last stage. It's like you worked your eight-hour graveyard shift. The last hour, you're cleaning up, putting everything together, prepping everything for the next day. And then here comes Jesus. And it says he got onto one of the boats. So they're sitting. The boats are in the dock. And it's the one that belongs to Simon. Now, we just saw in the last chapter, he's met Simon before, right? Simon said, hey, my mother-in-law is sick. Can you handle this one? Because she's a pain. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> I'm teasing. 
He says, can you help? And Jesus goes to his house and lays hands on her and heals the mother-in-law. So, so Simon sees Jesus and he's teaching on the side and the people are listening and he walks over and he steps on Simon's boat and Simon's been working on his nets because he understands that his livelihood is connected to the nets being prepared for next day's work. Tangled nets aren't going to catch any fish and dirty nets in the water. The fish will detect that. Their whole point is to be stealthy with their nets, <laughs> throw it over and do that. So they don't want any of those things to happen. So here comes Jesus and he steps onto the boat and it's the one that belongs to Simon. And he says, hey, can you put it out a little from shore? Just go out a little ways. It says, then he sat down and he taught people from the boat. So here's Jesus and he's getting swarmed and he's up against the water and he sees a boat and he's like, let's get on the boat. And then Simon, can you just put off a little ways? And it's a brilliant strategy for a communicator, right? Because there's no pulpit, there's no microphone, there's no way to amplify his sound. And um, you know, there's no indication he's particularly tall or easy to be easily visible. And so getting on the boat and just putting out a little ways does a couple of incredibly important, significant things. One, everyone can see him, they can't swarm him right? Two, the, uh, the water acts as a natural uh, uh, amplifier for his voice, so he can speak and be heard at a larger, wider range, and so he also he can get comfortable. He sits down, and he begins to teach people from the boat, and he's also there with Simon, who he's begun a little bit of a relationship with because a small miracle, whether Simon's happy about the miracle or not, again, I'm not really sure. We're still talking mother-in-law stuff here, but it's happened, and at least he's seen Jesus on display a little bit. And he begins to teach, and he keeps answering questions, and he's explaining, and the same Jesus who's going from synagogue to synagogue, and they're filled with wonder at the way he explains the scripture, who's operating under power and authority of the Holy Spirit is there, and he's teaching, and it's amazing, and people are like, wow, this is really cool. Verse four says, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this is interesting. Up until this point, it's a pretty, uh, a pretty ordinary story. There's not too much supernatural happening here, but this is a big ask of Simon. You gotta understand, he's worked a graveyard. He's already finished cleaning up the nets. By all indications, this was a long, tedious pro process, untangling nets, cleaning them, washing them, preparing them so they're uh, ready to go for the next day's use. He's done. It's one thing to say, can I stand on your boat? All right, you healed my mother-in-law, that's fine. Now he's making a very specific ask. Would you put out into the deeper waters and would you throw your nets down? Now, I'm sure Simon's like, listen, teacher, that's cool. But word on the street is you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Just so you know, my whole life's business is fishing this lake, this sea. This is where I make my money. I've been working all night long. See that place you're telling us to go? I've been there all day, all evening. I'm already done. It's the morning. I'm tired and I've done the work. I love this. Jesus' first invitation for Peter to follow him isn't, hey, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. His first question is, do you trust me? Because you've been preparing for one thing, tomorrow night's catch. But I've actually been preparing you for something else. Do you trust me? Will you take a baby step and put the boat out a little bit deeper and throw the net over? Lots of people are watching at this point. People are gathered on the shores. There's eyeballs there. 
Peter has a reputation, I'm sure, in town as a fisherman. This behavior would look erratic, immature, irresponsible. It's just not the way we do things here, guys. We already set the preparation for the next time we do it the way we do it. Why would we do something different in this moment? Yet here's Jesus saying, can you put out into the water and do this? Can I just be honest, for some of us, you've been considering following Jesus for a while and you feel like you've kind of been preparing things and then he's asked you to do something that's maybe just a little off your grid. And he's saying, hey, can you just trust me with this first step? You're like, I'll trust you with the first step, but uh, that seems irrelevant, God, because the big thing that I want to see you do is over here. And he's like, yeah, I, I got you, but can you trust me with this step? And following Jesus sometimes requires a first step. And sometimes the first step might look a little irrational to everybody else. But when you've heard Jesus, come on now. Verse five, Simon answered, master. And it's funny, he doesn't get called master very often. So I can't figure out if this is kind of patronized teacher a lot. Um, the word master here, it's kind of, uh, it's like an authoritative conversation. I think it's kind of the way like when you're, when you're with someone you respect, but um, you know, you're not really sure how to give them the right level of respect. You're like, hey, chief, like, you know, like it's friendly, but it's kind of like, uh, we get it. You're like an authority in one thing. So we want to give you respect, but you're not an authority in everything. And this is kind of my thing. He's like, we've worked hard all night. <laughs> he want, I love that Luke records this because he wants us to get it. He's like, listen, it's not just that we've been fishing. We've been fishing, right? This isn't, we're not just sitting there with our, you know, listening to tunes and with our rod in the water hoping for something to hit. Like, that's not the thing we've been doing. We've been throwing the nets and pulling them up. Throwing the nets and pulling them up. Throwing the nets, pulling them up. We've been working hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Listen to this but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. If you have your Bibles open or your app open, you should probably highlight because you say so. Because you say so has changed my entire life, the course and direction of my ministry, every moment and decision that I've ever made, the epic things that I've done because of the word of God. Following Jesus is an invitation, guys, into a life of because you say so. Because you say so. And Peter, taking his first faith step, starts with a because you say so. This doesn't make any sense on paper. Why would I write a check or serve in this area or go this career path or do this thing? I've been setting everything up over here and, and, and it looks different now. Because, but, but suddenly here's Jesus and he says, because you say so. Peter says, because you say so, I'm doing it. Can I just say, he's working hard. He's working really hard. He's working with honor and integrity. He's doing the job he knows that's right there before him. And then Jesus shows up and pivots him and says, do this. And he says, because I, I just wanna say that because I do think sometimes we run into this tension in church world of just lazy waiters on Jesus. We're just lazily waiting on Jesus indefinitely for something to happen. And I hear this all the time, all the time. I can't do anything yet because I just haven't heard. But he's working so hard and so faithfully on the last thing he knows. He's preparing his nets for tomorrow. He's got a plan. He's doing everything he's, with honor that he's been asked to do. 
And then Jesus says, okay, I see, I see the kind of person you are, so let's try this. And he's like, oh, that messes up my plans, but because you say so. It's the first step. So beware of the lazy person who's waiting for Jesus to give them direction. <laughs> I don't want to follow Jesus that way. I want to be faithful to the thing he's called me to do. And then if he says something, okay, I trust you. I trust you. Verse six, when they'd done so, so they, they float out there. It says, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Imagine this picture. It's daytime. They're not supposed to be fishing. They've already had this massive audience. Jesus is on the boat. He's just sitting there chilling, talking. His voice is projecting. He's like, let's go out this way and throw the nets over. And it's like, ugh, because you say so, boom, the nets go down. They try to pull them up, and something happens. What do we got here? What's happening here, right? And it says, there's such a large number of fish that their nets begin to break. You know how important it was that they were cleaning and mending and preparing their nets? It seemed like tedious, boring, useless, mundane, regular work in the moment. But here comes Jesus. And because they were faithful and doing the thing they knew they were supposed to do and preparing for whatever happened, their nets did not break, even though they began to break. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes following Jesus can lead you to a breaking point. This is why it's so important that you're faithfully listening and figuring out and being faithful to the last thing he's called you to do on the journey. I was thinking about how this must have felt for Peter. Broken nets at this moment might be the worst case scenario. He's caught no fish overnight. He suddenly has a larger catch. This is his livelihood, his business. This is, we're talking about feeding your family right here, right? This is his business. And his nets beginning to go because there's so much fish is literally the worst case scenario. And sometimes in the midst of our miracle, fear wants to convince us that God's letting us down. Sometimes, I mean, this should be, he should be like, what? This is awesome. Why are nets going to, ah, Jesus called us out here. There's no way their nets are going to break. But instead, he's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, I'm actually getting everything I ever asked for and hoped for. And it's scary. It's scary. What if it doesn't work? It's just as scary to be out here with Jesus catching a lot of fish as it was to be fishless back on the dock. A large number of fish is a good problem, even if your nets are strained. Why? Because he's with Jesus. He's with Jesus. Again, mending the nets and not being lazy up front was so important. Verse 7, so his response, it says, so they signaled their partners on the other boat to come out and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that now the boats began to sink. Now, one of the strategies for fishing would be like, you know, they would drop their nets and pull or else they would get two boats and they would kind of drag and so they were probably in that kind of strategy where they'd get two boats and drag, so they signal their buddies. They're like, we dropped our nets, and we can't pull them up, and they wave them in, and now they're just pumping fish into the boat, and the boat's just going, bloom, 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 right? And fish are slapping around. It's just exciting. He's like, help is on the way. What an amazing picture. And look at Peter's response. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, we should just, when Simon Peter saw this, when Simon Peter saw what Jesus was doing, see, he started following. He said, okay, I'll go out here, right? He's seen Jesus heal somebody. That wasn't a big deal. It was his mother-in-law. Come on. It's not like it was his fishing business. 
he was kind enough to trust Jesus to get on his boat. And then he was like, okay, I hear the things you're saying. I don't know what's really going on, but I'll throw my nets in. I'll inconvenience myself a little bit. Some of us just need to throw our nets in. There's a whole sermon right there. We just throw your net in, see what the Lord does. But he throws his net in. Now the nets are about to break and there's more uh, benefit in this than he could even have imagined prior to this. His friends come and the boats are basically just about to go under. And now he has seen all of these things. No faith up until this moment. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, Jesus, please help me run my fishing business. I will give you stock options if you consistently throw fish in the boat. No, of course not. He has a moment of revelation about the actual nature of who Jesus is, that Jesus actually has power and authority here on earth, not just over sin, but over nature and existence in itself. And he goes, oh no, I've been this close to you and I've actually missed it. And so his response isn't, take me in, Jesus. His response is actually hilarious. He's like, please go away from me because I'm a sinful man. Why? Because up until this point, their whole picture of God was that God was perfect and holy and that if they got too close to him, they'd die. Right? God's perfect and I'm not perfect. And if I get close to his perfect, he'll be fine. I'll be messed up. (laughs) And so Peter, in a moment of, of revelation and panic and actual genuine faith is like, oh no, I can't be this close to you, God, or it will wreck everything for me. It's interesting how many different reasons people pursue walking after Jesus. Some do it just because they don't know what else to do. Some do it because a family member just leverages them. It's like, you're going to go to church. Some do it because they're just looking for a better life. My life stinks right now. Maybe there's a better option here. Some probably do it because it's court mandated. I don't know. They're required to go to some kind of sessions or class or church environment. Some do it for many, many, many different reasons. Here's the thing that's incredible. It doesn't matter what reason you do it for. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, he's faithful. He's faithful. So why do we get frustrated when we see people who are kind of along the journey but haven't taken a step of faith yet? Jesus, they're following Jesus. Sometimes it's not even sincere, but then Jesus does Jesus. He shows up and he's faithful and he changes their lives. Verse nine, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Look at the residual effects that start happening. One person following Jesus suddenly goes from following to faith. And when faith happens, it affects the entire circle of relationship. That's the whole picture and the whole plan. Verse 10, so were James and John and the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, hey, don't, Be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything, and they followed him. Thank the Lord for Luke breaking out what happened a little bit better, huh? Both stories are true, but what an incredible picture of this powerful interaction and invitation of Jesus to follow him. I'm struck by the fact that following did not require faith. Following actually led to faith. 
Following did not require faith. Following actually led to faith. So I want to talk to two kinds of people today before we wrap things up and close. I think there are some in the room right now who feel like, you know what? I've been working hard. I've just not seen the results that I had hoped for. I've been mending my nets, going out and fishing, and I haven't seen Jesus show up, and I'm not sure what's going on. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, your role and your responsibility is to continue to be prepared because I'm the God who has a plan. And when I show up and demonstrate what's gonna happen, it may mess your world up a little bit. But if you have the courage to take a step, and I'll give you a baby step, you can just get out on the water and throw your nets first. It may just change everything. And there's some of us who are in the room who are like, you know what, let's be honest, I still have questions. I got a lot of questions. And you get up there, Pastor, and when you say it, it sounds like all easy and obvious. But then I try to open this Bible up, and I don't know what's going on. I try to have a conversation. I'm like, Argh. someone says, well, why do you go to church? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I got the same questions, and I'm just, same boat as you're in. I'm not sure. What do you believe about this then? And every, every whim of current hot topic tosses you back and forth, and you're still just trying to figure it out. And the invitation of Jesus is just take a step towards me. Take a step towards me. And maybe you've been taking a step and a step and a step. And in this moment, you would go, you know what? I've been taking some steps, but I haven't actually taken a leap of faith. And I've been asking questions for a long time, but it's time for me to actually activate some faith. And I recognize that there's gonna be a gap between everything I know and who Jesus is, or he'd be a pretty small, manageable God. But he loves me enough to answer my questions and go on the journey with me. And the invitation has always been to follow him. So I'm gonna actually do that with some faith. You know, what's funny is if you were to talk to Peter, I bet Peter would say, you know, I sold everything and left because some fish. How much more would I have done it if I had known that he, because Peter doesn't even know who he really is yet. He's just figuring it out. If I were to know that he was gonna go to the cross and pay the price for all of mankind and all of my sin and mistakes. And then not only was he gonna pay the price and be found guilty so that I can be found not guilty, so I don't have to be scared of getting in the presence of God anymore. He was not only gonna pay that price, he was gonna go to the grave and conquer the grave and rise again. If I knew all of that, I wouldn't have had to go fishing first. I would have just been like, we don't need to fish, God, I'm in, let's go. And Peter writes a letter, you can, you can read it in, in uh, the book of 1 Peter. He, he dictates a letter, but, but uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 21, I don't think it's on the screen, but I'll just say, he says, through him you believe in God, him who was raised from the dead and glorified in him so that your faith and hope are in God. And you've purified yourself by obeying that truth so that you have sincere love for one another and love that is deeply held from your heart. What is he saying? He's like, you have a hope and a faith that's so much greater than what I had when I started. I had a hope and a faith that he could make fish. You have a hope and a faith that he can restore and redeem lives. Peter writes that forward into the church and we all get to experience that today. And so maybe for some of you, the big question is just, okay, I've been following and I've had some questions, but it's time for me to actually take a leap of faith. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you stand with me and we're going to pray and I'm just going to invite some of you to take the leap and we're going to sing this and then we're going to wrap in just a moment. But here's the thing.
if you're here and you're kind of in group one, and group one is just this idea of like, man, I, I trust Jesus. I'm just activating my faith and trying to figure out what is it he's calling me to do. And I just need for Jesus, I need to be faithful and say, God, I'll follow you wherever you call me to go. I'm in and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but maybe I'm in a routine and I need to trust you. And you, God, you have permission to break my routine, whatever that looks like. And if you're here and you hear that and, and your heart just says, yeah, that's me. I need to respond to that. Would you just lift a hand so I know I'm in the right room? Yeah. Yeah. I see those hands all over the place. Yeah. You can put your hands down. If you're here and you're saying, I've got some questions and I've had some questions, but it's time for me to move from just following Jesus to faith in Jesus. And I've heard the stories and I know enough and I don't know it all. And I know I have to take a leap at some point and activate some faith. But today is the day. And I'll remember because I'll remember it was snowing. Come on now. I remember it was February 24th and, and, it, and the pastor sat instead of walking around and was a little different, but he talked about fish. And I remember just understanding for the first time that the invitation to follow Jesus was going to take a little bit more of a step of faith. And I decided today I was going to make that leap and say, God, I trust you. I don't know all the answers, but I know you. If that's you and you're in the room and you want to lift a hand and say, that's me. Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to allow this song to operate as our prayer. There's no mystical, magical prayer in the scripture. There's simply the understanding that if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. And so when you sing this, my prayer is that you actually have a conversation with God that says, this is true of me. Would you do that with me this morning, church? Let's lift our voices. So Jesus, <laughs> I'm so incredibly grateful for your faithfulness that you show up. And your invitation is no matter where we are today, we can take a step towards you. But your great joy is when we take a leap of faith and say, we trust you and we hope, and we put our hope in you, and we'll never be the same. Would you show up? Would you demonstrate your faithfulness and power and authority in lives in ways we've never seen before? We thank you for it, and we do surrender all. In the holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen, and amen. Would you give the Lord a hand?